G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You're on Vision Christian Radio with Matt Prater all across the nation. And joining us today is Peter Hammond, who is a pioneer missionary from Africa. How are you doing, Peter? Very good. Thank you, Matt. It's great to have you with us uh, here in uh, our beautiful country of Australia. Uh, I'd love to know a bit of your story. You were born and raised in Africa. Tell, tell us what it was like for you as a young fellow. Well, I was brought up in a very secular family. We never went to church, never went, not even on Christmas, didn't pray for anything. Um, so I was brought up secular, but in Rhodesia, one of the last of the British colonies. I must say it was a paradise. Animals everywhere, lots of wildlife. I had a lion as a pet growing up. I, I just, I could see myself spending my entire life being a game ranger and protecting animals from poachers. And yeah, I, I really could have imagined a kind of Steve Irwin type of life. And, uh, uh, of course, when I got converted, age 17, first time I was confronted with the gospel, completely transformed my my life. I, I was 17, and I went to a cinema in South Africa, neighboring South Africa. I was brought up just north of the border in Rhodesia, and uh, what today is communist Zimbabwe. And uh, the cinema was kind of strange. We didn't seem to pay to get in. People were dressed very well. Then they started to sing hymns. And it seems strange, but I thought maybe that's what they do in South Africa before films on Sunday night. What I didn't realize at the time was that they had no cinemas on Sundays in honor of the Lord's Day in South Africa at that time. And uh, when uh, the preacher started to stand up and and uh, uh, share the gospel, I was feeling ambushed and I was looking for a way out, but I was sitting so far to the front, the lights were on, it wasn't easy to get out of this thousand-seater cinema. And... Uh, for the first time in my life, I heard the gospel, and um, he laid out what Jesus did for us, and then he said, what have you ever done for him? And I sat stunned and ashamed because I'd never done anything for God. I'd not so much as thanked God for anything, not even for life itself. And so as I sat there recalling how my life had been spared, different stories my parents had given me and what they'd gone through in the war and so on, I just sat there feeling I'm an ungrateful, wicked, selfish sinner, well-deserving in eternity in hell. And conviction of sin really came upon me. And when they gave the challenge, I came forward. They were saying, just as I am, without one plea, but the, my blood was shed for me. And I went forward and I knelt at the front. And it, it was a radical conversion experience. I wasn't only converted. I was called to missions. I'd never met a missionary before. I hadn't heard of any missionaries before. But there was this overwhelming conviction over 40 years ago I've never doubted it in the last 40 years that I'm called for the rest of my life to take the gospel to those who have not heard and that was the start of my adventure 3rd of April 1977 and tell us about your early career did, did you get straight into missions or were you working at the time or what did you do well uh, in South Africa we had to do our military service so uh, my first mission field was the army South African infantry we had to do two years military service and um at that time, we were in a hot war north of our border. There were Russians, Cubans, East Germans, Vietnamese. Goodness me, we had the whole communist international and communist Angola and 
they were sponsoring terrorists to attacking our country and we were doing preemptive strikes into their country. And so it was, uh, it started out a, a low intensity bush war. And before we knew it, we were in a, a high intensity uh, conventional war with tanks and armored cars and uh, helicopter gunships. Uh, um, and next thing we knew, it was escalating to dogfights between our mirages and their MiGs. And uh, we were involved in some pretty big, massive operations with entire mechanized divisions clashing. There was over 200 communist tanks and armored cars destroyed in one battle up uh, on the banks of the Lomba River. And um, uh, our units were involved in that, and we saw that, and uh, it, it was quite an experience. But as a Christian, of course, I was running a Bible study and prayer fellowship every night through the time in the army. I, I'd started my, my training in infantry by asking the chaplain if I could talk at the first, chap, first uh, church service. And I stood up before the soldiers and said, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, and I want to honor him in my next two years here. If anyone else feels the same, please see me afterwards. Let us start a Bible study and prayer fellowship. And that's really where our mission began, in that Bible study and prayer fellowship. So when we were across the board in communist Angola, uh, I would seek the chance to go into neighboring villages and say, where's the local church? And they'd point to burnt out place and say, that was the church. Um, where's the pastor? The communist shot him. Uh, what can we do to help you? And the people would say, Biblia, Biblia. To see starving, hungry, thin, sometimes wounded and crippled people asking for Bibles really changed our outlook. And when we took Bibles out of our ammunition pouches and we gave them Bibles in their languages, the people wept, they fell on their knees, they cried, they danced for joy, they, they kissed the Bibles, they kissed us both cheeks, Portuguese style. There was so much enthusiasm and, and really we began to see the need and before my time in the army was up, the Lord had really laid on my heart where our mission field was going to be, the, the frontline states, the communist states, the, the states where churches persecuted, helping churches that are under fire, getting into restricted access areas. So that's been our mission for the last 37 years, going into persecuted, restricted access areas. And uh, I, I started immediately after the army with doing this, communist Mozambique, but very soon I was uh, told by my pastor, look, if this is lifelong, you better get to theological college. So... I did my theological training going every holiday across the border into Mozambique, Angola, Zimbabwe. And uh, when I graduated, I launched the mission full-time. And uh, so I've been uh, a soldier, a theological student. Uh, while I was in theological college, I was a fireman um, to fund my way through college. And, um, and I've been a missionary now, pioneer missionary for over 36 years, running frontline fellowship to the persecuted churches in Africa. Just last weekend was the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, something we need to continue to do to pray for the persecuted church. How else can we stand with the persecuted believers around the world? It's so important for them to know that they're not alone, to know that they're not forgotten. When we go, whether communist Mozambique or Angola, Nepal, or Congo, Sudan, northern Nigeria, Egypt today, uh, we get people asking, do the Christians in the West pray for us? And, uh, you know, at one time I might have been inclined to say, well, I don't even know if they think if they know that you exist. Uh, but uh, since then, it's been good to be able to say, yes, there are many who know, who pray, who care. You're not alone. You're not forgotten. That means a lot to them. And uh, to, to be able to give them the stories of how, how the Lord is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And there's many testimonies we can share of churches that were destroyed, that have been rebuilt and reused for the worship of Christ. And uh, so many examples of phenomenal victories for Christ. Just one example from, because I've also worked behind Iron Curtain to Eastern Europe back in, in days before the Berlin Wall came down. Christ the Savior Cathedral, the largest church in Russia, 
third largest church in the world, dynamited, destroyed, 1931, by order of Joseph Stalin, iconic church, it's symbolic of the spiritual life of Russia, rebuilt in the 1990s. Uh, today, um, to exact specs, exact same place, on the very site where the communists wanted to build a palace of the athe- uh, palace of the victory of atheism with an idol of Lenin above. And that's just one of many examples. There's the big idol of Lenin in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, which a 90-foot statue toppled in 1991. Um, uh, they, they, there's so many thousands of idols to Lenin, Marx, Stalin, other communist dictators that have been toppled in the last years, especially in 1990s, from 1989 onwards. And uh, we've seen places that used to be used, like in Romania, where, where uh, Richard Vorman used to be tortured, um, and uh, on the Avenue of the Victory of Socialism, they bought up the prison where he used to be tortured, and they now are printing Bibles and distributing Bibles from the very prison, or what used to be the prison, where Richard Von Brandt was tortured for Christ for 14 years. And uh, this, this many cases we can see that they've taken the printing press that used to be used by the communist secret police, the Stasi, and now they're using it to print Bibles and Christian booklets. So, yes, Jesus Christ is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Now, I'm curious to know about uh, a number of these books you've written over the years. There's some, some great titles in there, including Killing Fields of Mozambique, Holocaust in Rwanda, Faith Under Fire in Sudan. Uh, but one that I'm curious about, I'd love to know a bit about the heart behind this book. It's called Answering Skeptics. Mm. Uh, you know, there's so much skepticism against Christianity in the world these days. Uh, this book sounds like it could be quite handy. Tell us a bit about the heart behind that book. Yes, well, um, as a missionary in the field, I've, of course, had to tackle all sorts of things. I've, I've come across every kind of communist and atheist uh, skeptical argument out there, and uh, including from interrogators when I've been imprisoned. And I remember one time when I was being interrogated by a man who called himself Satan, and when I laughed and said, you're not Satan, he says, oh, I, I'm the devil. He said, I, I was, uh, I'm not only a Marxist and a Leninist, I'm a Stalinist. I was trained in Czechoslovakia. And so I think I've heard most, and I've, I've summed down the 14 biggest arguments I've heard from skeptics and en- enemies of the faith and answered them. And these are honed, battle-tested, uh, tried and tested, debated on uh, ra- university campuses and radio stations and in mosques and communist bases. So Answering Skeptics is my book, about 140-odd pages, uh, 14 chapters, tackling everything from what about the Inquisition, the Crusades, how do I know there's a God, how do I know that the, the Bible's the word of God, how, do you, how can you prove Jesus wrote and dead, why is there evil, why doesn't God stop all the suffering in the world, all those sort of things. So um, uh, I think all of these are great questions, and we can sort of do a judo throw, we can take the momentum of those who are trying to attack the faith and use it to propel them into the wall of reality. Um, and uh, so Answering Skeptics is, is one of the books, I've seen it important that I speak up for the persecuted church. And uh, I, I know the first time I was locked up in prison for my faith in, in a communist country, I, I just determined that what I experience here and learn, we must speak up on, the, on behalf of the other Christians who don't have a voice and who are suffering here, to give a face and, an, and names and to give testimonies to, to the many people who, who normally were not known by the church outside. So uh, to me, that's a lot of what I need to do is to... Uh, give a face to the persecuted church, speak up for them to blow the trumpet and call Christians to learn from the persecuted church. There's so much they can teach us in terms of dedication and also how to answer their, their interrogators, the, mm. the uh, people who are persecuting them.
Now, another book I'm curious to hear from you about is The Power of Prayer Handbook. I'm sure with the uh, the life you've lived and some of the places you travel to, uh, your prayer life has grown a lot over the years. Tell us tell us personally, what's, what's uh, your prayer life look like and, and what's the book about? Yes, praying the Psalms, praying the Scriptures, especially the Psalms, the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible, the hymn book of the Bible, the biggest book of the Bible, the most quoted book uh, of the Old Testament in the Gospels by the Lord Jesus. So uh, the Psalms, most of them were written by King David, a man after God's own heart. Uh, imagine being called a man after God's own heart. So Professor Martin Luther, the, the reformer who launched the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago, he said to revive your prayer life, to kickstart your prayer life, get into the Psalms, mm. pray the Psalms, make the Psalms yours, turn the, pray- the Psalms prayers into your own prayers put in the names and places that you need to. And uh, I must say, using the Psalms as the foundation, the inspiration, the, the grid and the pattern, the direction for my prayers has, has for me been tremendous because sometimes we don't know what to pray, we don't feel like praying, but you open up the Bible in the middle, you get to the Psalms and you start to pray them and to make them your own prayers. That has been phenomenal. I, I put in testimony from Andrew Murray, teachings from... Martin Luther, others that we've picked up, and many of the insights from the Persecuted Church. So the Power Prayer Handbook is, is um, over 100 pages dealing with uh, what we think is necessary to, to put fire into your prayers. I've been in some revival situations. When you are on your knees with persecuted Christians, people who, who are widows and orphans and who have experienced things that are, are, are almost unimaginable to us, uh, to hear them pray has challenged the shallowness of my prayer life and has called me to a higher and deeper standard. It's so important that uh, we make make sure we find God on our knees in prayer and, uh, you know, the start, start every day on our knees in prayer. Such an important uh, uh, message you're bringing. Now, another book I'm curious about, we've only got a little bit of time left, but I'd love, I'd love to know about Victorious Christians Who Changed the World. Tell us about that one. Oh, I just love learning from examples of excellence. So Victorious Christians Change the World has 34 testimonies taking from Perpetua in the 2nd century through to Mary Celeste in the 20th century. So going through some of the greatest names in church history, you know, the, the Jan Husses and the Martin Luthers, the William Tyndales, uh, the Andrew Murray's Whitfield Wesley. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal. So um, uh, what, I, what I thought was the best way to learn history, and I was thinking particularly of homeschoolers and uh, Christian families who want to take uh, one character study at a time. And this basically takes you through 20 centuries of church history by looking at the stories and, and of course, lots of pictures. We have very visual studies, so it's got over 280 pictures, 380 pages. And the, the whole goal of Victorious Christians Who Change the World is to inspire us to reach further, to go deeper, to keep going longer than, than we would have otherwise. So, yes, um, it's a whole lot of biographies of, of victorious Christians who change the world and who can change our perspective and outlook on life too. Wonderful. Now, before we go, uh, earlier on in the interview, you, you shared about your conversion experience at the age of 17. And, you know, there might be people listening now that are thinking, you know what, I've never really made a commitment to God. I've never really come to Christ and asked for forgiveness of my sins. Would you would you share with our listeners what is the gospel and how do people respond to it? Yes. Uh, it's so important that we consider eternity. I mean, we all have an appointment. And it's an appointment not one of us will be able to miss. And uh, it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Now, I've had to face death a number of occasions. And uh, there were times that I never thought I'd see the sunrise or sunset. 
and uh, uh, it's just it's in God's hands. Only one life. You only have one life, and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. God is holy, and how can a holy God allow wicked, sinful people like you and I into his heaven? And when we understand how sinful and depraved we are, when we look at the law of God, when we understand the character of God, we see the holiness and righteousness of God, and we look at his Ten Commands, the law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. When I look at the law of God, and I see that I haven't always worshipped God alone. I haven't put God first. I've, I've sometimes made idols of things. I've bowed before things, made political idols and others, that uh, Hollywood idols that I shouldn't have. I've taken God's name in vain. I've desecrated the Lord's Sabbath. I haven't honored the Lord's name and Sabbath as I should have up to some of my parents. Murder? Maybe we can say, I haven't committed murder. But Jesus says that if you hate someone, it's like committing murder in your heart. A person may say, well, I haven't committed adultery, but have you looked with lust? Jesus said that's like committing adultery. Have you stolen? Well, a person may say maybe not much, but it doesn't matter the amount. Uh, have you used telephone without permission? Have you run up bills? Have you uh, not been working when you've been paid to be working? Uh, I mean, that's also theft. Uh, what about uh, listening to lies or telling lies uh, or coveting and being envious? When we look at the law of God, we can all see we've sinned. And how is a holy God going to allow sinful people like you and I into his heaven? Well, on the one hand, God loves us and he doesn't want to punish us. But on the other hand, God is just and he must punish sin. And God sent his son. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life I should have lived. He died the death I deserve to die. And I can put all my faith and trust on Christ's life, his death, and by his blood I can be cleansed from my sins. And we need to understand that there's only one way of salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except from him. We are lost. Jesus is the way. We are deceived. Jesus is the truth. We are dead in our trespass and sin. Jesus is the life. He is the resurrection and the life. We need to look at the cross, put all of our faith in him and the shed blood and through repentance and faith, we can experience a new birth. So it is absolutely vital that we seek him, that we seek his face, that we turn to him, that we pray, that we get into the Bible, that we study the Gospels. And Christ alone can save us from our sins and transform us and give us a new life. And this is, this is the Gospel, is that Christ has died for our sins, and we need to put all of our trust and faith in him. We need to turn from the world. We need to die to sin, self, and the world. And we need to be born again by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And this can only be done by turning to Jesus, looking at the cross, trusting in his shed blood. And then after we have repented of our sins and trust him, he will lead us through the wards of baptism to identify with his church, to become a member of a local body of Bible-believing Christians. And then we've got to get into the Bible and pray. The Bible is like a food and prayer is like a spiritual air that we need to breathe. And fellowship, we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to love the believers in fellowship. We need to love the unbelievers in evangelism and witness and reach out to them. And all of this needs to be inspired by worship. So Bible, prayer, fellowship, evangelism, worship. I mean, these are the dimensions of a new Christian's life. We need to get in the Bible, and I'd say start with the, with the Gospel of Mark. That's the shortest gospel it's the most action-packed read the gospel of mark then get into the book of acts and uh, i believe that the lord will lead you from there and as you pray through the psalms he'll show you how to deepen your prayer life 
Well, it's been wonderful to hear you share uh, these wonderful messages with us today. We've been talking with Dr. Peter Hammond from Frontline Fellowship in Africa, and uh, the website is frontline.org.za. That's frontline.org.za, and you'll find all the details there for Dr. Peter Hammond. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.